and this is episode 5 of my fantasy, and we're going to be talking about plots and narrative structures, as in how stories are structured in order to tell a story. Uh, but first, what have we accomplished in the past two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever as long it's been? Uh, not as much I would as I would have liked to. <laughs> uh, it's been about... It's been about a month, and I guess it's been about 30 pages, but most of that was in the first week. Uh, work has just been insane and you know, everything else, so uh, I, I have not gone as far as I would like. In terms of story progression, it's probably been about 15 minutes, but it's been about 30 pages. All right. I... Uh... I've been trying to build a new story, and I think I've actually gotten a decent one going in terms of I have the world, I have the backdrop for everything. Now I just need to figure out the actual plot, which is part of the reasons for this episode. <laughs> I've gotten about 15,000 words done on that newer Gee. story I started. And that's, that's a good amount, man. 15,000 words. That's a well over a tenth for, of a book. I've been pushing for five... Hundred words a day. I made a chart, and I give myself points for it. <laughs> and occasionally, I'll get bored and just keep writing. And a couple fifteen hundred word days there. So it reminds me how good. how excessively hard NaNoWriMo can be because sometimes I'm dead at like a five hundred thousand words, and they want me to do sometimes double that. So what and do you do with the points that you rack up? Uh, right now, I bought myself a video game, and I'm very significantly in point negative. So do you have like <laughs> dollar values for every point? Is that how that works? Yes, I set up a point value for everything, then set high values for what a game is worth. So what game did you buy? Total War Warhammer. Nice. That's a good one. I don't suggest spending your points on things that eat up your free time and mind. Well, that's the only point of the points. Well, sometimes like it eats up your free time but it doesn't eat up your mind like i i've done certain things where i will start like i'll be doing something else and it'll stimulate my mind to like think about my writing and i, I guess in fight scenes of just general strategy of right i think part of it's just because i write at very specific times so if i'm like playing games in the evening it's going to translate into my writing because i write over lunch like i actually book conference rooms at my company to write over lunch <laughs> so <laughs> so that, yeah, that that, that's true. what i do and so i, I think I, it's it's really weird for me because i have very set blocks where i'm like like I, I start getting, like, jonesy about it. Like, I'll start, like, flipping my pen around and shit. I'm like, all right, five minutes five minutes ago, time to start writing. So, like, I'll have, I'll have a, like, sandwich that my wife will make for me, you know, plastic bag and everything else. I'm just, like, sitting there eating and writing for an hour just because that's all the only time I have, really. Yeah, that's a, a good idea to, like, have set times to do it. So now what I'm trying to do is, like, Monday through Friday – I am trying to do a job, and on Saturday, Sunday, I will, like, do housework and bake to unwind and stuff. Right. And right. I'm hoping it's going to work for me. And that's what everyone's like. If you want to become a writer, just write. So I, I think it's a good thing to, like, from X time to X time, I'm writing. Period. Whatever. However it goes, I'm writing. 
you know. I will start actually writing when I have a plot line, so let's get into plots. <laughs> There's a lot of basic ones, and if you go to different English professors, they'll probably tell you a different number of, like, archetypal stories. Like, but the, the most basic one, I think, is the three-act structure that almost every story can fall into, whether it wants to or not. I never give a damn about the three acts. I just know the things I do end up falling into it anyway. What do you think about the rise and fall structure? How every act should, how every act should rise and fall, and then, and at the end of the third act, it should be at its peak. So act one is here. It comes up. It drops. Act two is higher than act one. Act three is higher than act two. And at the end of act three, it's the highest the story is is being. I think usually the end of act two is typically the lowest point of the story. Lowest or highest. Act well, two. That, oh. I mean, it, it's it's a full on um, uh, empire structure, because yeah. most people, when they think about the three act structure, they think about Star Wars. I think a, a New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Jedi. I mean, that's when most people think about three act structures. That's what they think about. And it's a great it's a great three act yeah. structure in terms of highs and lows and everything else. Because at the end of uh, Empire, it's a very dark time for the rebellion, you know? Yeah, so I think what I was thinking of highest and lowest is like the highest of tension, therefore be the lowest, uh, like morality thing. Positive. Yeah, so, so I think heroes are usually at their worst point at the end of the second act. Right. Which is where the tension is highest, and that's the way yeah. I was thinking of it, because that's like as you're going into the climax and then act three, I usually think of it's just the resolution. So it seems to usually be the smallest part for me. Act one is usually like we succeeded at this, but act two is going to show us that we didn't. And then we're going to end act two at the most tense negative point. And I, I can see that, back. but that's not how like act two is going for me in my personal writing. I, I, I mean, would... it could be a positive act, but, Typically, the end of Act Two is defined by, oh shit. Well, yeah, but maybe you don't have the three acts. Maybe you're doing sure. something else. But I mean, That'd the three, three acts, acts is look. I mean, we we've all seen the four chords video on YouTube, right? The what? The four chords you YouTube video. There's a video from these guys who they they dissect these great songs and they all break down to basically these four chords like oh, yeah. journey yeah. and green day they all break down this one one way so like about. yeah so yes. it, if you find yourself falling into those three you know three act structure that's not a bad thing because we like that as humanity you know Yeah, I, I just, like, I always felt like when I'm trying to make the plot, worrying about acts just distracted me, so I never gave a shit. But afterwards, I could see that, yeah, I was doing that anyway. I was just, like, have the building tension up until the giant climax, and I didn't care that it might be, like, an act one or two differentiating at some point. Um, another thing that is really, really common, more like a story form, is, like, the hero's journey, which is mm -hmm. actually what I think A New Hope is, just... At its core identity is it is the hero's journey. No, it, it is. Has all of the big have parts. you actually read the hero's journey? Like the whole uh, a hero with a thousand faces. Have you read that? 
no. bugging Joseph Campbell there. For people yes, yes. There. I mean, it, like if you read it, like the first 15 pages, you're like, oh, wow, this is Star Wars. Like, just read through it. Because I've read through it. It's, it's just a fantastic book because you realize that humanity s- strives for a certain kind of story. But still, like reading through that book, you're like, oh, wow, this is Star Wars. And we should point out that the three-act structure is not a unique narrative in itself, but an easy way to oftentimes define the other. Like a hero's journey can easily be broken up into a three-act journey. In a lot of times. Easily, yes. That's correct. So they're not, they're not mutually exclusive. Generally, yeah. one will overlap the other. That is yeah. correct. And it seems like, like the hero's journey as an archetype usually has more... Uh, like details that are significant to the story of like there's the call for the main character to go do the big bad storyline whatever that is and then they refuse for whatever reason they just don't want to do it and no, there's a new, hope, th- well, actually there's a variant on the three struck three act story slash slash hero's uh, journey where there's a there's a sidestep where so if the uh, hero doesn't want to do it it has a whole other part of the story that then you know parallels everything else that's going on. So it so there is a really big difference between the hero's journey journey where he wants to do it and the hero's journey where he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, the classic version is for whatever reason they don't want to do it. Like with Luke Skywalker, it's like he has to stay with his family, and then the reason for him refusing to go do the main quest is taken away, like, his family gets killed. So then he goes and does the heroic thing. Right. And, and I mean, in terms of Star Wars, that's taken away very quickly, right? Yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is no way. They, they got killed by stormtroopers who were very, very accurate, except when they were trying to kill him. <laughs> but that's a whole other... Do you, do you, you follow know. the theory that they were intentionally not trying to kill him? I, I've, I've read that theory. I have thought about that theory... Uh, I'm not sure where I stand on that theory, but it kind of makes sense. Like, if I mean, you watch the entire trilogy, it makes sense. But we're not here about talk about Star Wars. We're well, here to talk about writing. True. But killing them would end their plan to find the secret rebel. If, oh, they're dead. Nobody can fly the ship back to the secret rebel base now. Right, but, I mean, but even we're talking, like, stormtroopers are terrible shots for three movies and they're supposed to be the best of the best so either he has got some really weird jedi powers like deflecting lasers which we know can happen or they're told not to right do we ever see them shoot in a situation where they are trying to right but the other situation i'm thinking of is bespin where they're also still trying to leave Luke. But the the question is 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 Luke deflecting the lasers without other people knowing? That that's the big question about the whole, really the entire Star Wars arc, right? When it comes to narrative structure, if you want your systems in the galaxy, they do show that presumably with Luke's aunt and uncle. But don't make every other situation they're shooting examples of them not to kill the person because then you just don't believe the example you just gave of them being great to shoot. Right, exactly, but I mean, they 
I I guess like Luke's Luke's aunt and uncle weren't trying to dodge where Luke was trying to dodge. I guess. Anyway, back to plot. We could structure. talk about that for a while. Yeah, no, we're yeah. gonna have an entire uh, like we'll have like one one-off podcast where me, you, and Ryan are gonna like get Star on Wars. and like go do crazy shit about Star Wars. No, no, you need to have Justin and Alex in there too, so Alex can have a heart attack. <laughs> um, fuck out. But... <laughs> anyway, so yeah, well, back to plot. After, after the aunt and uncle get killed. Then the main character is Luke, and he goes off and does his thing, and you see, like, tri-fail cycles of trying to get better, and or training montages, and, like, all the things are, like, needing to, to get better to go fight the big baddie. And then there's the big baddie climax, and fight, and then resolution, and awards at the end. That's right. a new yeah. hope, and that is the hero's journey. <laughs> Essentially. And if you don't, like, Joseph Campbell, uh, Heroes of a Thousand Faces... The first 100 pages are some of the best 100 pages you'll write. They're written like 1945. Still great. Still still doing stuff. But, like, I don't know. Like, there's so many writing conventions in terms of plot that I feel like I need to rebel against just because I'm an asshole like that. So, like, there's The Hero's Journey. There's Chekhov's Gun. There are, there are certain things I will write that will never come back. Because I know it's Chekhov's gun. And I'm just be like, hey, all these people who expect this to come back, it's not going to happen. Like, do you ever do that to your readers? I think that can... I think it can work if you're doing something like a comedy. Because and then they'll like expect weird things like that. But if you're trying to write something more serious, they will be expecting the Chekhov's gun. But, right, but most I people... Like, I, I, hate, I hate the idea of Chekhov's gun. I hate it. I understand why it is a very specific literary device. And Alex, if you don't mind explaining to our listeners what Chekhov's gun is, would you do that for us? All right, Chekhov's gun, I think there's a guy named Chekhov, and he said that if you have a gun described in Act 1, it needs to be fired in Act 3. Uh, it's just like if you have something that gets drawn attention to early on, it needs to be relevant at the end. And it also helps you deal with Deus Ex Machina, and so it's a very good thing to work with um, and it helps readers kind of have a feeling of knowing what's going to happen which a lot of them seem to like in terms of anticipation also that like they can feel like they're smart enough to figure out the plot line sometimes for things like mysteries um, it's a very good thing to work with and also to if you want to avoid having a Chekhov's gun just take those things out it's what I would do I mean I think I think it's a good thing to have and be aware of so you're not le leaving plot elements out. But I don't like the idea that just because you talk about something means you must do something with it. I mean, it doesn't always have to be like you must talk about it. For example, you can add in with uh, Mary Robinette Kowal said, like, if you're trying to hide something but also tell the reader something, hide it in the middle of a list. And there, you can still use it later, but some things can get thrown away and be distractions. You don't have to like use every now. single gun. What's that, Colin? I'm abusing that now. <laughs> I gotta stop because I feel like every time I want to mention something important, I put it in the middle of a list of three. So yeah, yeah my story. make it more like five to seven, and then they'll definitely lose things. But, but also... then I just feel like I'm padding. 
Maybe, but now I also feel like because I know that literary device, it's yeah. completely broken because I pay more attention to the middle. And, and I think that's the problem with, I mean, I understand the Chekhov's gun thing, but part of me is like, I don't, like, I want to be able to explain things in terms of the world that don't have any other context besides the world, you know? Like, I, I, um, I'm trying, I've actually created my own card game inside this world. Uh, I've actually paid people to create the odds for this card game and create the, the right, the right hands. And, you know, it's, it's basically a poker game, but the game itself doesn't really matter inside the world besides the fact that it's in the world, you know? I mean, um... I'm in the middle of book five of the Black Company, and he hasn't been doing it much in the later stories, but in the first, like, two books of the Black Company, there's a made-up, it's basically poker, as far as anyone can tell. It's, like, I don't know. He gives so few descriptions that you don't know what they're playing. But for a book about a group of mercenaries, its only point is to serve as a vehicle of character development of these people getting along as members of a mercenary band. Like, there's no scene in the end of the book where they need to play the game to beat the bad guy or anything. It's just, it exists solely to have them talk. doesn't go much further beyond that. And it works. Like, I'm starting to think that Chekhov's talk. gun should be uh, much more restricted to things like weapons. Because if you talk about a Death Star thing, it should fire at some point. Instead of talking about a card game that suddenly saves the world. Or even just, like, you shouldn't mention things for no point. World building counts as a point. So if your point of mentioning something is to further enriching the world you're talking of, then that's fine. It serves its purpose. It doesn't need to go beyond that. Right, but especially in terms of Chekhov's gun, it's all about if you mention something, you must do something else. I mean, I feel like enriching a world-building environment is doing something else. Right, but, yeah. but in terms of, you know, in the liter yeah, like literary device, is... it must fire. Like, it must have a, a correlation to a reaction sort of thing. At least that, that's how I've always perceived it. I've never been taught I mean, this. Uh, <laughs> I was a finance major in college, so I don't know all these things, but at least from what I read, that's where I understand it to be. One well, of the most enlightening... Go do, on. do what? Uh, well, it's just like a lot of the things that I've heard of like about prose or paragraphs, um, if you think of a paragraph, it should be doing at least two things. But those two things are like uh, character development, plot development, World building is certainly a part of it, and uh, there's a few others as well. But like, world building shouldn't be discounted as not a thing. It do doesn't just need to like be important to the plot. And so, like, sure. if you have a, a Chekhov's card game, well, world building is certainly useful for it. I think part of it is is like if you're if you're doing one book or three books in your head. I mean, I know how I'm sort of building my entire universe and my in my head it's going to be three to three to five books 
But, so, in your head, like, if this certain, you know, quote-unquote, Chekhov's gun is important in book three, you may or may not want to have it in book one. Unless it's super important to have in book one to eventually come through in book three. So, just do whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if anything you take from my fantasy is like, there's some kind of rules, but once you know what they are, you can break them and it'll still work if you do it well enough. Like, every rule can be broken and it can still be awesome. You just need to know what you're doing enough with it. Right, and that's um, one of the things, uh, I listened to Mark Rosewater, who is the uh, game designer for Magic. He's like, all of Magic's design is to break its rules. See, he's like, everything I do in Magic is to break its own rules. And to turn itself on, turn itself on its head. And this is a, a card game that's been going on for 20 years. So if they can do it there, we can do it in our writing, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess we'll go on with more plot types. Um, the idea of, like, a voyage and return, apparently, is what it's called. Of, like, your main character is transported to a different new world... And they explore it, and they have a fun time, and then it becomes terrible, and bad things start happening, and serious threats, and then at the end and climax, they go back to normal. And uh, things like Wizards of Oz or Coraline are good examples of that. That's a lot of movies. Um, Yeah. It's just so many movies. The the journey to get back home is huge. you see it, it even, you know, way back in the day with, like, the Odyssey and everything else. There are certain people who want to go back to the safe space instead of trying to do stuff with the, uh, you know, princess and everything else. Yeah, it's, uh, it also I, I, finds itself neatly to a movie's time period, which helps. Two hours is about a good time to go to a new world and come back. Yeah. But, I mean, you even see that, I mean, not in Star Wars specifically, but you you see that in a lot of sci-fi kind of movies because uh, I was thinking about The Last Starfighter, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, So this kid, he gets, he, he finds something familiar, which is this arcade game. He gets transported out of his normal trailer park life back to into this world where he kind of knows what's going on, but not really. And he gets all this stuff thrown at him, and at the end, he gets put back on Earth. You know, and you see that a lot, especially in the 80s, like I would say 80s, 90s movies, movies where it's uh, very, things are happening to an Earth child. And then he gets put back exactly where he was at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's a there's a lot of benefits to it because um, their main character is automatically what's called like an everyday man person, everyday person. Right. The fact that they don't really know what's going on, and you have to explain it to the main character, and therefore you're also explaining it to the reader, and the reader will also feel more connected to that main character. That's just a normal everyday person. I mean, and we, we do realize we're essentially writing porn, right? We we all do realize this, correct? Because most most porn is girl next door. So I'm I'm just saying, we're like we're all kind of writing this like really weird three act structure 
like so if you watch porn and you're like yeah so this happens and this happens this happens that's basically what we're doing I was gonna say it's a great example of stories that deal right. with transitioning of adult say what you're saying you're kind of kind of kind of cutting out so yeah, sorry. I'm trying not to cut out the allegory for adulthood of children will to experience the adulthood they long for, realizing it's not what they want. It could be all out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not porn. <laughs> I know we had talked about Coraline being a perfect example of that. She is unsatisfied with her life, finds a new world that fits everything she wanted her life to be. And the longer she's in it, the more acts she starts to see in the fabric and then has to escape back to her previous life, which she now finds much more satisfying when she realizes the alternative. Or at least justifies what she viewed in her life as negative wasn't quite what she thought it was. Right, and that's something you see in, like, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, if you watch mm -hmm. the Guillermo del Toro, uh, where, you know, the more they get into this crazy universe, the more they don't want to be in it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, Usually it starts with an unhappy protagonist. Yeah. Someone so, who wants Yeah. Them. So how often do you start with that, like, person who doesn't like who they are protagonist. I mean, I feel that actually, since we talked about Journey, a lot of times that applies to the protagonist Journey who um, isn't happy with his life and dreams of adventure, and in the hero's journey they suddenly find themselves in that adventure, and midway through it they realize this isn't what I wanted, I wish I could go back to my life I don't regret anymore. Unfortunately, there's big reasons they've got to solve now. To start blending these things into multiple things. And that's kind of where I am with my second story that I'm starting to write. But like my first story, it's all about like this kid who just doesn't care. Like, my, the, the main story I'm writing right now is Corlax and he just doesn't care anymore. Like, if he gets, if he dies, he doesn't care. So, like, he just, like, pushes himself to, like, the limit. But I'm, I'm writing this other story about squirrels who run across highways. And, like, <laughs> like, it's a big deal. Any other examples of turn? Oh, what's well, that, man? Like, I, I didn't hear you. What did you say, Colin? Any uh, other good examples of Voyage and Return? Tron. Mo yeah, Tron. Most movies most movies are Voyage and Return movies, if you look at them. I don't know why it just popped into my head, but Jumanji. Jumanji oh, yeah. is Voyage and Return. Um, Die Hard, kind of Voyage and Return. Um, eh. <laughs> That's a unique example of it. 
He's just trying to get back to his normal life. That's all he's trying to do, you know. Like they, they're both they're dealing with marital struggles and right, both but... are unhappy. And then shit happens, and well, let's, let's just go back to our normal life because it's better than. Yeah, crazy. right. Well, it's um. Do you, do you watch How Much Mother at all? Anyone How Much Mother? Yes, no, maybe. What? How Much Mother? The show. Oh, How Much Mother. Oh no. Don't get me. Don't get me started on the ending of that show. Uh, no, we will talk about that later. But there, there's this part about thank God we're live sex, and so I think a lot of a lot of writing is the, oh my God, I did this great thing. I came home, and he, he, she just wants to have thank God I'm alive sex. That, that's most of a lot of stories. Like that is basically Katniss in the Hunger Games. <laughs> oh, don't get me going on Hunger Games, also. No, no, we're here. We're we're writing podcasts. <laughs> I'll get you going on Hunger Games. Go, come on, man. Come on, Colin. You've already gotten on Hunger Games. No, I, yeah, we, I was gonna say I already talked about how much I hated the ending of Hunger Games. So <laughs> I love We've the ending. <laughs> See, I think that's the weird thing about me is I actually love the ending of everyone's like Hunger Games was really good till the third book I'm like that's when that's when it gets really good is the third book oh my god the third book just fell apart now if you want a good third book seventh book Harry Potter no that's a book fuck Harry ended on man I hate Harry Potter I hate I, I hate Harry Potter so much extreme fan surface epilogue and that book that whole series ended about the two. Speed, it was appropriate. It wasn't massive twists of plot to get there. Nothing I got really it. sick of everyone just pairing up with their high school sweetheart and being happily ever after. Like the last chapter just showing one? everyone with their high school sweetheart is just yeah. stop it. Relationships stop, okay? <laughs> Tip I on that. Evelyn no, didn't get to. Hey, you're calling after you like say what you're saying again because I can't hear you. I was gonna say like I still hate the F because so much. Yeah, we're we're dying, we're dying, guys. I don't know what's going on, but like I can't hear. Yeah. You hear me, Alex? I can oh, hear I can of. hear both of you, but Colin, you're cutting out. Maybe we should just kill our video kind of thing. I I don't know what's going on, but like it's getting bad on my end, and I'm recording, so. Yeah, you're pretty yeah. good to me. So, um, let's talk about plot for something new. I guess um, we want we all. We all have multiple story ideas, correct? Yes? Yeah. So let's talk about new story ideas and who we want plot to progress in terms of, look, we know what Chekhov's gun is. We know what the hero's journey is. We know all these things. So what what do you want to bring to this story that you might, may or may not be writing yet? I think I seem to generally be lording 
towards like overcoming the monster, which we didn't fully talk about. It's just like there's a monster threat revealed in Act One, and then so you you are full on MacGuffin story, is what you're saying. I guess I keep <laughs> forgetting what MacGuffin means, but like there's a monster, we need to kill it. I have that going in. That's a MacGuffin. Stories. Should we explain okay. MacGuffin? Yes. We, yes, Colin, please explain MacGuffin <laughs> to our listeners. A fabricated plot point to drive your characters along the path you want. And most most movies, most things that we watch or listen to are MacGuffin hunts. I, I mean, that's something, like, just because it's a MacGuffin hunt doesn't mean it's bad. You know, like, Lord of the Rings is a MacGuffin hunt. That's all it is. Indiana Jones count? Do what? Indiana Jones? Like the whole yeah, thing yeah, that's a MacGuffin museum. hunt, too. Like, there's so much about a lot of things we look for, like... Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, his enti- the entire point of that movie is finding, you know, uh, the Grail, right? And that's a full-on MacGuffin hunt. So just because you or you have a MacGuffin quote-unquote movie or book or whatever doesn't mean it's bad. It's just this how you, you're doing things. It's just a definition of a plot point that is right. oftentimes very, very, very physically represented in an object. And, and you just need to understand that you're, that's what you're doing. Like yeah. in Corlex, which is the book I'm writing right now, there is very much MacGuffin hunt, but she's going to become a major character in the next movie or in the next movie. book. But book, movie, whatever. I, I still have the hopes and dreams that this will become a uh, Netflix you know, series. That's my, my hope and dream. But uh, still, but... The the, the the main character, the main nemesis in the first book will become a MacGuffin and major. She's a MacGuffin in the first book and a major character in the second book. So I'm looking at uh, Wikipedia for MacGuffin, and Lucas describes R2D2 in A New Hope as the MacGuffin of the movie. Yeah, and then Luke Skywalker himself in yeah, uh, Episode 7. I'll go with. Uh, Force Awakens because that was just straight MacGuffin through and through. Yeah. yeah. But he does a good job of um, well I'd say I like the plan the MacGuffin and R2-D2 is the carrier for a while. But have, for most of the movie. Have was... you all listened to uh, Batman on Batman? No. no. It's a Kevin Smith podcast. He interviews uh, Mark Hamill for three hours. If you really want to learn about like writing and like what he thinks about all these characters, you should listen to that. It's great because most people don't realize, but Mark Hamill is the voice of the Joker to most of us. Yeah. He's the voice of the Joker in all the, the the Arkham games and animated series and all that stuff. Yeah, just like. We should probably stop talking about Star Wars and especially not about Force Awakens because that's too big of a fight. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I definitely do the MacGuffin hunt in my military story. The first book, they just don't know that it's going on. In the second book, they kind of get the inkling and then they have to, like, find it before other people do. And, okay, I keep forgetting what that means. I think part of what we need to stress to people is that it's okay to have MacGuffin hunt. Some of the greatest yeah, it's okay works. To do any of these? 
Right. Like and... These are just the, the common things, and it can help you if you need to, like, a model to make your own plot around it, and that works perfectly fine. Don't, like, shy away from something like this just because someone else did it a thousand times. All of the stories have already been done. Just tell your own story anyway. Right. And it's something... Um... something that even Solomon in the Bible wrote about. He's like, there's nothing new under the sun. He literally said it's been done a thousand times. And so, you know what? Your story can be unique no matter what you do, even inside these structures. But if you want to break those structures, that's a good way to make yourself unique as well. But it doesn't matter what stru- you, structure you choose. You can be unique no matter what. Yeah. It's also just like if you're going to break the structure, be very careful about it because you can piss off your readers that way. If they, all of a sudden you change what the story is and what they were originally sold on is no longer there. So you need to be very intentional about it and make sure that the hints of what the real story is are there so they can still enjoy it. Okay, Alex, so you're a writer. Yeah. What do you do to tip off your writers about the plot? Uh, I just think I just try to set it up in a way that they can kind of see the obvious things and then throw in things that they weren't expecting after. Like, so the basic storyline is there's these monsters and you need to kill them before they kill you. you. And so that's the basic story that you can see at any time. And then it's just like, how do you do it? That part is going to be the unusual twist every single time. So do you ever worry that you're writing this story and they won't see the twist? I mean, it's fine if they don't see the twist as long as there's enough hints that they go back at it, then... They can see the the hints. Yeah, but but you're you're assuming that your readers will reread your book twice at least, or at least just remember things afterwards. But uh, I was I don't know. Sometimes I don't really care about twists, and sometimes I just want like the emotional turmoil and whether or not there's twists, whatever. You hate your readers. Just admit <gasps> it. A little bit. Like, just a little like bit. part of you, you like, character. if you if you were ever if you were ever at a con, you would just like jump up and like bitch slap your readers. Just a bit right now. No, I wouldn't bitch slap them. I want them to buy my book, but <laughs> I want to make them care about the characters, okay. and then I put those characters in pain and torture, and then just like God, make just, them like, pay for it. Got, like, Alex, I really like you. But you remind, remind me a lot of my wife, and my wife scares me. So <laughs> there are times where I'm just like, man, this girl's good. she's going to stab me. <laughs> That's how I feel about you a lot of times. Like, like if you're around your readers, you just like have this like you know like butterfly knife and like stabbing people in the hands and shit. No, I just uh, fully ascribe to Jim Butcher's camp of torturing the readers, and he, hey. It's still working, and he's got enough money to be very comfortable. It's like, that's what I want. I want my job to do that. See, I don't... Jim Butch, like, look, I've read Dresden Files a couple times now, and Jim Butcher, he's a pussy when it comes to torturing his readers. I mean, I will say it every time, but uh, if you want to be tortured, just go read Malazan. And I was also going to add on to what Alex was saying. Um, the... 
end of Gardens of the Moon, the first book of Malazan, ends in this giant smorgasbord of things that you don't understand. Like, they're just these massive plot twists that you're just sitting there like, how did that happen? Alright, Colin, so... Keep going. Colin, how many books have you written, right? How many books have you written? Finished or... Like, you have you have one book you're working on. Is that a part of a trilogy? Uh, whatever. It's supposed to be standalone, and I have. You you're cut out, man. I'm sorry. I, I have to get you to I, explain that. I have. I'm working on two books right now that are both intended to be standalone. And a trilogy that I have finished writing, but not. So, do you have any characters you like, or things you want to do to the writers in terms of plot that where you're just like, you know what, you're just like turning the screw on people? I don't torture my people very often. Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Alex. I've been telling you, like, she's the one woman I, I'm scared of sleeping near. Not even, like, I, it, not even, like, in the same bed with, just near. Like, if she's in my house, I'm a little scared about sleeping with Alex. In the, well, the trilogy I wrote is a uh, young adult trilogy, and I kill the main character's best friend at the end of the first book. Good. So that's somewhat better. See, Go. like, what I... Like what I'm doing twice. is I'm leaving the idea that so I have this character who is dead in the first book. And so if anyone's listening to this book who ends up buying my book, but I have this character who is completely dead in the first book. And the closing lines of the first book is a beautiful redhead opens her eyes for the first time in five years. And well, that was a spoiler. Yeah, it's, it's too spoiler, but that's what I'm trying to do with my readers. I I, I don't want to like torture my readers in terms of you know terrible things happening to my characters. I want to torture them with the oh my god, maybe this one character is still alive. Yeah, so there's like it's not always just emotional torture, like the characters are like dying and everything's depressive, but it's like. There is one twist in my military story that should be a fairly big blindside, but I'm going to leave in enough hints that you can understand why it's also a huge blindside for the main character. And it's a character from her past that suddenly comes back in the forefront of her life. It's just like, why are you here? And she's really, really upset. Right. And I guess it's the like the weird thing about we, we've been talking about Chekhov's gun for a long time, so maybe my Chekhov's gun might go off in like season, th- like not season three, but book three instead of book one or two. Like I yeah, have, and for that, like that person is like I'm leaving hints in season, like book one and two, and then they arrive in book three, and I hope it will be enough that it. Like, her emotional reaction makes sense to people, and they're also like, what the fuck is going on? That's the hope for it. I guess that's my problem, because whenever I think about writing books and things, I think about writing things in seasons and episodes versus... So episodes for me are chapters, 
that's how I think about it when I write. So I, that might may or may not be a good thing. I think that works perfectly fine. Like, uh, I saw a picture of J.K. Rowling's outline for like the I think Order of the Phoenix or something, and it seems like every chapter is kind of like her own little episode, uh, and all of the little plot lines she had, like the big main plot line, the smaller one that's going on in between the chapters, like his romance interests, and all of those are getting dealt with within every single episode chapter. And so I think that it's a perfectly valid way of thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, uh, especially for me, coming from a non, quote-unquote, literally, literally, I cannot talk. Literary? Literary background um, is an important thing for our listeners to understand, like, just because you don't have the training doesn't mean you can't write, you know. And so I hope they're listening to say, look, I'm trying to find good things and ideas to write with. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, I just like I hope that most of our listeners can say, look, we're doing a good job teaching people how to write much less, you know, in versus our own struggle with our own struggles, I guess. Yeah, I'd really like for people to find this podcast to be helpful in their own writing. How to write, yeah. Yeah. All these things are examples of how people, not like looking up on Wikipedia how to write a story, just examples of how stories are often structured because it's a good way story, effective at telling a story and keeping track of your plots in different points. They're tools to help shape it, not, not rules to how to do it. Yeah. I mean, if you need those rules to give you the structure to allow you to start, absolutely use them. And if you don't like them, then yeah. don't. But, yeah, yeah if, you, if, you, if you are confident enough to break the rules, break them. But if not, don't. I think that would be a good, a good uh, thing for all of our podcasts, much less this one. Yeah. So I have a question. There's a, a plot archetype that we didn't really get to called like rebirth in terms of like the main character has to go through some weird troubles and at the end comes out a completely different person. The biggest example is like a Christmas carol. Like Scrooge, he's a bad person, he's threatened with something terrible, and then the threat kind of goes away and he thinks it's gone. But then it comes back in full force and then he has to go through all of the bad things of being shown how evil he is. And at the end, he's a much better person. Do you guys ever play with that? Uh, rebirth is, um, I mean, for me, it's an easy thing to do, right? Because it is such a structured story. It's it's very easy to play with. You have these characters. You, I don't know. Like, I don't like the rebirth story so much because it's just so easy. Uh I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. Maybe so easy isn't the right word, but it's so common, especially in our American dialect, that I don't like to write it so much. Could you bring up some examples? Because I'm actually having trouble thinking of examples that aren't listed here. Any any, any sports movie. I, I mean, Rebirth is almost every sports movie. Couldn't it also be Hero's Journey. 
It, no, it very much is. I mean, but it's just a Every different. It just depends where you start the hero, you know. <laughs> and and that's the wonderful thing about the hero's journey is you can start the hero anywhere in the cycle, you know. So maybe yeah, the hero isn't most, being called. Maybe he's already forsaken the call and getting called back. You know that kind of stuff. But most of them don't involve negative people. It doesn't have to be negative people. It's just like rebirth. You could also have a lot of fun, my time of fun, like having a good person that gets corrupted fully and they're now an evil person at the end. Right, but it's still, it's still where do you want to pick it up on the journey? So the hero's journey is generally a, a you. So if you think about the best... So, Act 1 is they're at their best, Act 2 they're at their worst, Act 3 they're at their best. And so, it's basically you if you think about the journey. And so, basically, most of what you're talking about, Alex, is Act 2 at the bottom of the you. Yeah. Um, I think I've kind of been having fun. I don't have the actual story for it, but, like, the character uh, development would be, like, someone who's really kind of robotic and like calculating and no family type of person. So like they will forsake people in order for like a, a greater good that they hold up. But at the end they have to make the wrong decision because of family people that they now love and they'll choose them over greater good. So how much Star Trek have you watched? Not a whole lot actually. No, you need to watch all of the first series and most ah. of TNG. Ah. Because that, that's Data Spock. That's the whole Data Spock thing. I know that's a Spock thing. Um, but like, I don't know if I can watch all that shit. Don't, no, no offense to Star Trek. I just meant... No, Genesis. no, Alex. Go fuck yourself. That's good, that's good television. That's really good television. <laughs> but, you know... Spock, I think, is a good example. What are you saying, Sports Colin? Sports movie... I that. I, I'm losing Colin, man. You had to like re restay what you're saying. I was gonna say, um, like Spock is a good example, but I think sports movies miss the idea of rebirth. Yeah. Like, there's no rebirth in, in the birth there. Yeah. What, what what sports what sports movies are you thinking of? Because I can I can probably point you in the right direction. I mean, most Rudy. sports movies, yeah, they seem to be like the rookie that ends up becoming awesome. Um, like the guy who's got the motivation. Um, look at, uh, have you ever watched Miracle? Yeah. Yeah, that that's a full-on rebirth movie. Uh, Friday Night Lights, another good rebirth movie. Great TV uh, series. Okay. Not good for rebirth, but just full-on great TV series. <laughs> Friday Night Lights. At the same time, they're all still positive people overcoming adversity, but most. Yeah, but but especially for um, a miracle, it's it's these people coming together to rebirth themselves as a team for USA instead of you know being Boston College or University of Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera. Especially yeah, back I mean, in the seventies, where like, yeah. I mean. Maybe. The universe you came from back then was much more important than now. 
I mean, that was before the idea of a unified American team in the Hockey Olympics. So that one, I mean, I can follow that one much better than. I mean, I don't like a lot of people. I love that movie, Miracle. Great movie. And I love the I love the story like the the story of the 1980 U.S. hockey team going up against Russia is the single greatest upset in all of sports history. Oh, absolutely! So, My dad's a huge hockey fan. I I actually don't give two shits about hockey, but <laughs> like that one moment was the perfect yeah. moment for all of things. I mean, yeah, yeah, that one you can portray as rebirth pretty easily right but that, but it's also a good rebirth movie especially or rebirth yep. story especially if you watch the movie where it's all about these kids being like tortured until they understand they don't play for boston or minnesota they play for the usa you know the the you know the what's going on the front is more important than stuff on the back but whatever and i think that's an important thing to like trying to like for re like listeners to understand is like there's so many things that if you really want to make a great struggle no matter what movie book whatever it is like just make that struggle worldwide where or or maybe make it seeming insignificant at the time because you know most people don't give two shits about hockey but that was one of the most important games I ever played, right? So I think if you can ever translate that to your reader, it would be huge. If you could, especially if you're doing something in a different world, different time, and you can say, like, this thing happened and was so huge for those people. You have to be able to, like, translate that to your readers. So, so what I'm gathering is, Give the Russians. Come again? Uh, we've already got several. That. Basically, just fuck the Russians and and America wins, and you're good. No, no, what I'm saying is like, if you can ever create a story that's that dynamic, I mean, most of the great things that happen in this world aren't fiction; they're reality. So draw from reality and turn it into fiction. And put it into a whole new world, you know? Yeah, that's basically what Game of Thrones is. Yeah. Game of I've still been trying to place Game of Thrones in this chart, and I'm not sure where I want it. <laughs> Game of Thrones uh... can go fuck itself. <laughs> like, literally, I cannot not place in anyone. Okay. Colin, you're cutting out, man. You have to restate that. So, um, Game of Thrones, where the hell does it go in these charts? Well, uh, you can find infographics of what Kurt Vonnegut has at the, like, chart of where the, the ups and downs are and everything. And Game of Thrones is it goes from bad to worse. That's that story, right? That's the wonderful story. thing about... Characters. Uh, I think our, like, the, the fiction we can write is... We're not... We're sitting inside of a world where great fiction exists. So we can just like, oh, look, Game of Thrones. That's really, really depressing. So I'm going to write something else. <laughs> so we can like move one direction 
to left or right or whatever and basically redo Game of Thrones, but better or worse or just happier. Game of yeah, but Game of Thrones is also one of those things like don't try to put it in three acts. Don't try to put it in Hero's Journey because it's not one of those. Nope. It's just its own thing. Yep. And if you can find it, fine, but it, it doesn't fit. It's rare for a story to exist in. Uh, Colin, you have to restate that, man. It's rare story to exist. <laughs> Archetypes. <laughs> You're it's rare for a story out, to but exist I, I, without I archetypes. I think we're having an internet issues, so I think we should call this a uh, podcast. Yeah, maybe, uh, with this many issues. And I think we're at about an hour, right? Uh, so. 57 minutes, yes, so. Close. So, thank you for coming out to High Fantasy. We've been talking about rating and plot and everything else, so I hope you enjoyed it. So, if it's in the morning, evening, whatever, I hope you have a good day, a good morning, good afternoon. Good ride on the bus, if you're on the bus, whatever. So have a good good whatever. All right, and you can check out... Eh?